Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. And welcome, gang. Glad you're here. This Sunday, we are kicking off a new series. This fall, we're going to be in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the epistles of John. And uh, really wrestling with this idea of what is love? And uh, to get our arms around that, as a, as a church, right, the over and over again thing, John especially, the Apostle John, uh, communicated the church was church, love one another. That's the priority. Not out there, not anywhere else, but love one another. And the church is to be a community based on that agape, on that love, the love of God. And it is that dynamic that transforms, brings intimacy in our walk with God. And that's what church is all about. Uh, I don't have to tell you, we have a love problem in the church in America. And we need God and the Spirit to restore something. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at in this series. And, God, and John weaves these themes together. The love of God, the fellowship of God, our partnership with Him in sharing His message. And this idea of fellowship, koinonia. Um, all of that He weaves. And this idea of just being submitted to the Word of God obedience to the word so that God can transform. What John shows us as he works through this is this integration of all of these things and how important the koinonia is in that process. And um, I don't think I have to tell you all that we live in a very fragmented, very independently focused culture that we, uh, we are involved in so many other things trying to get life change, trying to get transformation rather than the primary thing that the Word of God tells us is the fellowship of believers. And uh, so we want to just highlight those things in this series. So what I'm going to do is to get us kicked, kicked off in these. I hope that you'll join us. I hope you'll dive in. First John is, is uh, only five chapters long. And, and second John and third John are only really one chapter. Uh, and just to read and read. Just, just dive in it. And, and we're going to expect the Holy Spirit to grow us as a church. To move, enhance our koinonia. And give us great understanding with what God has to say to us around some of these big issues. And so to get us kicked, I'm going to give kicked off, I'm going to give you a lot of questions this morning, ones that we are going to wrestle with as a body um, through this series uh, uh, in wrestling with, wow, what does love look like and where's the transformation, right, among our lives and in the, in the love experienced, right, of God's presence, right, among his people um, this morning. But before I do that, you can find your way to First John, very end of the Bible, is I'm going to just give a little background as we dive into this. This is written by the Apostle John. And uh, John was uh, the beloved disciple, right? He was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, that were with Jesus inside this, this inner circle, inside the 12 even. Um, and we know that John was the, he was the beloved, he was the one who, boy, he just, he, he just oozes love, the love of God. He's the one that was, right, resting on Jesus' shoulder. He's the one that Jesus, from the cross, looked down and said, John, this is your mother. Is that Jesus handed over his own mother to John to take care of after his, and, and her, and his family. Um, and and well, pretty amazing to think about. Because, little side note, is that Jesus' brothers, right, is, his own family, had, didn't come to full salvation until after his resurrection, we find them saved finally, his brothers and sisters who were like, you know, uh, didn't fully understand until later on. Um, 
And so John is this amazing character. He lived longer than any of the other apostles. He wrote this letter in his late 80s, maybe even early 90s, um, which is staggering to think about living that long back in the first century, right? And especially when we know John was radically persecuted. We know he was sent to the, somewhere along the way, he was sent to the island of Patmos where he wrote Revelation. Um, and we know that church history tells us that they tried to boil him. They, tried to, they just tried to get rid of him, right? Um, and it, the Lord had other plans for him, which is interesting. That connects back to Peter's and John's and Jesus' conversation at the end of John, where Peter was worried about John. And Jesus said, don't worry about him if I have him live on, you know. And uh, so John was this great lover and, and a pastor in And what we see here in this letter, more than anything, he was seen as a spiritual father. He's writing this letter to a group of churches that he oversaw in in modern day Turkey. And he's writing to the church because the church was under persecution. The church was under fire primarily at this time um, from false teaching. People within the church that started blending into the culture more than the word of God. Started losing their footing on the word of God and the fellowship. And started causing division and forces from the outside as well. And he writes this letter to encourage them. Now 1 John is a tough book. John writes, he doesn't mess around. This is why it is such a... A, a sobering book for the church today because John is black and white, right? It's, it's light and darkness. It is a strong, right, uh, spiritual father to the church of, tr- of telling the church to regather, come around again upon what is important, right? And, and to be aware, watchful of the things that have come in and, and really caused uh, a corruption and, and a looking a less Uh, understanding of the power of God and the gospel uh, itself. One of my favorite stories uh, in history, you know, John, he, his, one of his disciples was a guy named Polycarp. And you can go in church history. It's one of the most wonderful uh, martyr stories we have. Polycarp took over the church after John died. And and Polycarp, it's just a beautiful story about being taken to the Colosseum and making a stand for God and laying his life down. Polycarp's disciple was a guy named Irenaeus. And he's one of our church fathers, if you've read any church history. And so we just see this beautiful, beautiful carrying out of of a spiritual father that made disciples and poured into men and women to carry on right the mission which is the great commission all of us right are commanded to uh, follow uh, along with that but this beautiful story of John later in his years he got old and um, he was he couldn't preach a full message he didn't have the energy for that uh, he couldn't even get out of bed, but he met, was adamant that he was, did not miss out on fellowship to his death. And so he had a bunch of young men come pick up his chair, and they took him to church with them every Sunday. And they put John in the midst of the fellowship, even in the midst of almost dying, right? And John had one message. He couldn't preach anything else, but it tells us that in his one message, he would say over and over to the churches, beloved, beloved children, love one another. That's pretty much where he summarized the gospel. At the end of his life, beloved church, love one another. And folks, if there's anything we need to hear as a church in America, and let's just bring it right here, we need to learn how to love one another. That's the priority of scripture, not out there, but right here. The church can't be the shining light, it can't be the salt and light, it can't be the light on the hill, Unless the church 
is an example, first and foremost, of the love of God right here. And that's exactly throughout history what made the church shine and live through the, the Roman persecution and everything was because they couldn't understand how much the church loved each other. And that's exactly why somebody on the outside, they might disagree with our theology. They might disagree with the word of God on things, but they, they should not be able to criticize us for a lack of love and care for each other. And so I'd ask you to join us in this series because we have a love problem. I'd ask you to join in this series to really pray, Lord, and we're going to get real practical with this church. How do we love each other? How are we not loving each other? And what does that look like? All of um, what we see, the promises of God, are connected to God working through the koinonia. And we've missed that. We've lived so, and, and these are some of the things, and I'm just going to throw out some questions here. And these questions are going to rub some of us wrong, right? Because we've got to wrestle with them, all of us, myself included, right? To understand that it is in the midst of loving one, learning to love one. It's in the midst of the priority of the gathered church, the family of God, that the power of God moves, brings assurance, and brings radical transformation. It is not some other independent path or program that I give myself to. Now that's a profound statement. In the midst of our culture right. And so let me just give you these four questions. We're going to come back to them. And we're going to let the word of God inform us. On these questions. But what I've done is. John's writing to the church. Because the church is under fire from, from within. People who have been corrupted by culture. Who are teach, speaking something false. And bringing division. And also fire from the outside as well. And uh, so I've just kind of taken that and reworked it for our day today. And just here's four questions that we need to process. First one is, has faith to be a Christian replaced faith for the power of the gospel to transform life? Now, what, what do I mean by this? In other words, have we replaced, in other words, are we okay with faith that brings someone to Jesus and they now call themselves a Christian, but where's the faith when somebody's dealing with trauma and incredible, what, go down the list of things, anything in our life, and we bounce them out to something else? Is the, if the gospel's powerful enough, if Jesus' death on the cross moved heaven and earth, defeated the power of death, do we think it's powerful enough to solve and radically transform any issue I'm dealing with in life? And what I can say in the church today is there is a radical chasm between these things. We trust God to save someone, to make them, quote, a Christian, but there's very little faith in the church today to completely thrust ourselves upon the gospel and the love of God to radically bring about testimony. He's all I need to effectively heal and transform whatever I'm dealing with. Now, I know that's deep water. Because you know what? We've all been taught, but I need this, but I need this. I need the gospel, what Jesus does, plus this, plus that, plus this. If I open that door, I've just gutted the gospel. What, have I, what am I telling Jesus? How effective was his death then? Right? Um, this is faith. This is where John goes black and white on this issue. As we get into this gospel, it's like, whoa. He leaves no gray area here. He calls us to faith, trusting in God for this. Right? And expectation, right, for the working out of that gospel to change my life. 
make me more like him. And that begins with love increasing for me, for others, right? And for God's love for me. Does that make sense, gang? This, this question? I just give it to us and let God and his word just kind of shed light just where are we at on that as a church, but as individual as well, right? Has emotion-based moralism replaced devotion to God's word, his will, and his ways? What do I mean by that? In other words, we live in a culture, folks, that um, emotion-based moralism is ultimately, I put a higher commitment on how I feel determines what is right. And I actually judge people according to how they make me feel, whether they're loving me or not, right? The scripture says we're to love, right, with the spirit and with truth, with truth. And sometimes, guess what? It doesn't feel very loving. It's strong, just like John's words to the church, right? The question is, as we sang our song, is my heart open to the truth of God? And this is where we have to right, encourage people. And emotion-based moralism would basically be, um, man, if it feels good, do it type of thing, right? And that's taken over more than we realize inside the church, even from the outside, this idea of love, right? I mean, um, boy, and we're going to talk about that this morning, the assurance of love. What is love um, and the importance of that? But does this make sense, okay? Has that replaced devotion to God's word, his will, and his ways? Right, to be saved, to follow Jesus means I'm submit by the very nature of that as a Christian. I submit to his word. And this is where John right, gets us here is Jesus is the word. He's the logos. He's the truth, the way, the life. And therefore, if I truly believe that, then I have to right, thrust my, my questions, my will, my everything, Lord, to his word. And that is going to inform right now God leading in my life, his will over my will. And then I'm going to learn to walk with God. I'm going to learn to be in the way, learn the ways of God. How does God work? That's spiritual development, right? Um, So we need to wrestle with that question and let John kind of inform us on, on that. Now here's one. Has therapy replaced the power of fellowship? There's a place for counseling. But I ask you, when you have a problem, matter of fact, when you have a deep problem, when you're lonely, when you're, we're, we're all, whatever our stuff is, whatever we're dealing with, do you run towards koinonia? Is that where it's fleshed out? Or do you bounce out to a thousand other things that culture offers? What the, the radical thing of scripture is, Every bit of what I need, every bit of what you need can be brought to us through koinonia. Now, that's a radical statement. That's why we need to think about it. Because you know what? We don't believe that. Especially today when we've bounced out to a very highly independent life. And all of us, I'm including myself, is, is that we just, oh, I can handle that. Or I'll go out here to an expert out there. Or whatever it is, is the house of God, the koinonia of God. What John makes clear is that it is in this family of love that the Spirit of God moves and brings ultimately healing and transformation in my life. It's a big question to think about, right? Just historically where we've gone today, 
right? And the final one is, has a distant God replaced fellowship with the Trinity? Now this, is, this goes real right into deep water in the sense of, if I'm not confident of God's love, if I'm struggling with confidence in, in the word of God and his love over me, then what happens in, in with the world too, even within the Christian church today, right, is that God just becomes, if, if the fellowship disappears and the accountability disappears and the love, all of that disappears, then what happens is God becomes distant real quick because God says basically, as John's going to show us, there's a requirement for fellowship. That's where his presence is abiding in a powerful way. I can't go out away, right? I, I hear the statement all the time. Uh, I love Jesus, but I don't know about his church. I, I'm going to do my thing. That's not Christianity. We will not con- be able to conform to his likeness that way, right? Is that it's the church. It's the koinonia, all right, it's, it's learning. We're the Great Commission is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is, is that we're to help each other, right, come to more intimate knowledge, bathed in the love of the Father, bathed in the grace of Jesus, bathed in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, in experiential depth of walking with God. And uh, has God become distant? And again, all statistics show that today, believers in America, God is feeling real distant. And all that reveals to us is a lack of koinonia. And as we know, the last few years we went, what did the majority of the church in America do? Still a third of the people are gone. It's just, that, that's hard. That's just the facts is we've run to a thousand other things rather than the very thing that God says, this is what's going to bring love, joy, and peace and everything else. This is where I work. This is where I bring transformation. And folks, if there's anything as a pastor right now that I, that I struggle with and, that, um, and get emotional about is right, the fact of, of people running from koinonia. Thinking that somehow their life is going to, uh, that they can still, you know, reap the benefits of God without koinonia. And John is real clear on these issues that they integrate. Powerfully they integrate. This is how God moves in the midst of, and it's not easy, right? Um, but that's how he moves. So, give you those four questions. We will circle back and forth between those four questions. I hope you'll take them. And maybe go take someone to lunch. Dive into them. What do you think? Evaluate our own lives in light of, and I encourage you to read 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 3rd John. Just read through it and have God inform you and tie that back to these questions and, and bring, up to, bring it to me if you have insight. And had a great conversation with one of our leaders this morning and uh, she's got all kinds of practical ways that she's experienced the blessing of how we love each other in this body and the ways that we haven't. And we need to get real practical and honest with those things so we can ask God, God, come show us how to do that. How do we love one another, right? And restore those things, all right? Good with those four? Koinonia, thank you. Fellowship. So um, it's this great uh, um, word. It goes back, uh, historically, there's two kind of uses of one is kind of in Greek culture, which was just used as a generic idea of, of coming right um, together, doing life together, you know, as such, but more in a kind of a corporate sense. The other way that we see in ancient um, history, this idea of koinonia 
is birthed from this idea of people coming and merging together um, their lives around a common cause, right? Something that unites them, right? To be, obviously, the church is to be a family. And uh, we see this terminology when we see Paul talk about the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit that binds our hearts, right? Um, And it's in the midst of, of that kind of fellowship that the fruit of the spirit, births right um and again the question for us is boy have we minimized right the power and importance of that right to see god move and one of the big ways for this is um is uh actually the assurance of god's love right and um Boy, we know, right, all of us, that there, this is a big problem today, isn't it? Is even, I'm talking about in the church, those who claim his name. It was, we heard Julie's incredible testimony. For whatever the reason, we just struggled to, to really rest in this liberation that I am loved by God. I'm his child. I have eternity in his, in his hands. And how can we, what does life look like? And how important, I guess, is it that we know that truth? That we're loved by God. The assurance of that. And, and I think we have all this discussion about kind of the importance of doubt today. Uh, and I think we need to, whoa, big caution. Right? Because John, and this is where he rubs us because he says, I'm writing these things that you may be confident that you have eternal life. I'm writing these things that you may have the assurance of God's love. So don't buy anybody that says, oh, you'll always be in this flux, learn from your doubt, and, and you go through tough times in life, and we blah, 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 is, is the Christian life, the new creation life, is to be this place of great confidence that I'm going to live life with God forever. And great confidence in His love. Sure, when we hit bumps in the road, man, we have it out with God. That's totally different than stepping back and doubting God's love, Right? Because if I start doubting God's love, I'm doubting his character. That's a whole nother ballgame. And that can be a dangerous endeavor, right? And oftentimes in our culture, that's leading people away, all right, from God. Um, so I, can, I need to wrestle with, with God's ways. God, why did you, why did this happen in my life? That's healthy faith. But if I start questioning his goodness, if I start questioning his love for me, Now I'm moving away from faith. I'm moving towards unbelief and I'm opening up my soul to a whole wad of of terrible lies and things in my life. So let's dive in this morning just with our time left. I just want to kind of just kickstart us here in 1 John, the first couple verses. And um, as he writes to this church, he's writing again as a spiritual father. He's writing with as someone who's lived longer than any of the other apostles. And maybe, just maybe, since this is, you know, the end of the first century, um, the beginning of the second maybe even, that he, um, he could be the only, at this point of writing, he could be the only living person who has had a, 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 was an eyewitness of Christ in his, in his resurrection. And listen here, as this spiritual father who was known for his incredible love for the body and the children of God says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim it to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have koinonia with us. And indeed our fellowship, our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son. And we write these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, so he gives part of his purpose there. Later at the last chapter, he gives his purpose that you may know. You may have absolute confidence that you're a child of God and that you have eternity with God. Um, and so this idea of fellowship, it's vertical, it's horizontal, right? It's this fellowship we have with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and it is, should be fleshed out. Right in amongst each other as we love one another. So what I want to do here, it's a lot of questions as we just get in this morning and kind of roll this series out. But I give these to you hopefully just to have next to you in your journal as you dive into this book. And we do together. Let me just stop here and just say from a practical step standpoint is let us help you. And help us. How can we best get you connected to the fellowship? Where you are in a place beyond just Sunday morning, and even here, how to enhance koinonia. What does it look like? How can we help you and each other to step into a microchurch, to step into a discipleship group, right? To step in in a new way in this and get connected, right, to the family of God relationally, right? This is how we grow, is learning to be with each other with uh, submission to the word of God and asking God to come and move, right, among us. And that love, in other words, God's love in our, if we know him, there should be this uh, flow from the Holy Spirit from us out to one another um, in some practical ways. Uh, So, uh, and like I said, one practical way could just be even here is think about who do you need to connect with or who do you need to meet? Who do you need to get to know? Right, what group do you need to step in and help? Where do you need to serve? You know, there's a thousand practical questions like this, but one might just be who are you gonna go to lunch with? And what are you gonna talk about? The new football season? It's fine. Right? Hunting season, whatever it is. I would encourage you to take these questions. Have some koinonia. Invite people into a faith discussion. Get to know people's hearts. Build the fellowship, right? Um, around the questions that are transform our very lives, right? So here's on this idea of living with the assurance of love. Folks, again, is it important? There's probably no more important question that any of us can ever answer is, am I loved? Do I have confidence that God loves me? Inside every human heart, right, is this, whether we know it or not. Now, sometimes we just kind of cover that up, numb that, but... It's the big question, am I loved? Am I loved? Um, That affects every aspect of our lives, ultimately, right? And it is behind how, what things we pursue, how I live my life, ultimately. So here's the first question. We cannot be fully loved or love if we do not know the source of love, right? Think about it. So folks, in our culture, the way we talk about love, you hear it talked about all the time. And here's just a harsh reality is our culture has no clue what they mean by this term love. Hollywood has no clue 
what they mean by love. Um, And without understanding the very source of it, I have no clue how to define it or what it is. And this is why John comes to us. He's the writer of this as God is love. Culture says love is God. We determine my feelings determine. Oh, that's God. That was very loving. That is pagan. God is love. He determines. It is the very, it is the very uh, part of his very character. Father, Son, Holy Spirit who live in this perfect love community that the creation was birthed out. You and I, we are created in the image of God. A loving being. A single God knows nothing of love. Nothing. But our God, right, he is very love. He lives in it and has for all eternity. And, and he invites us, right, into um, that love. Now, I'm not going to go and answer all these questions just this morning. I'm just giving kind of a highlight of where we're going. It's just so that we can start thinking and pursuing, right, some of this. But folks, this is really important is I cannot be, we're all looking for love, right? The old country song in all the wrong places. Um, but uh, which happens, doesn't it? We've all done that. Myself, we've all done it. We've all looked for love in the wrong places, right? Um, even now that song's in my head. <laughs> and you got all kinds of crazy memories with that. But anyway, try to wipe that out. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so, um, but we've done that, right? We've all looked for love in the wrong places and we've reaped the results of that, right? And I can't be fully loved, or love. And those come back to back. And this is why in marriage, God says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. A husband cannot truly love his wife until he understands the great love Jesus has for him. Wives, respect your husband. Love him. You're not going to be able to do that unless you first understand the incredible love that your Savior Jesus had for you. The problem with so much marriage enrichment and everything else is we just step out into a bunch of practical things before we deal with the very foundation. Because as a husband, if I don't know I'm loved by God, it is going to be impossible for me to truly love my wife. This is heavy water. That's why the very best marriage counseling there is is simple discipleship. If a husband and wife are both in love, growing in love with Jesus, guess what? It's going to be an on-fire marriage. Right? It's just that simple. And that's the ultimate question is, am I feeling lo- loved by my Lord? And then that's just going to birth. Whole, and then I'm submitted to his word and therefore I'm going to be able to be a faithful wife. I'm going to be a, all right, a faithful husband, right? In that process. And just expand that out to friendships. Am I going to be a very good friend? Am I really going to be able to love like Jesus loved? If I'm not aware of his, the fullness of his love in my life. So let's take this and let uh, the Gospel of John inform us. Um, the Gospel of John, but also the, uh, the epistles of John, especially 1 John. We cannot fully be alive without confidence of where we are ultimately going. I asked you this morning, are you absolutely confident when you die, give your last breath that you'll be in the presence of your Lord in heaven? And we got to be honest with these questions. Because if not then there's no way that we can live fully, right? That we can't live fully. But when I know that, man, I have the confidence that in my Lord, and this comes intimately connected to the first one, which is the love of God, right? They're all, these, these three questions are intimately connected. We're moving towards the side of the assurance of love. And so without answering these three questions, I can't have the assurance of love. It's how the Spirit of God moves, right? And we cannot fully be alive, 
without this confidence. In other words, I'm going to be going here and there and I'm going to live under some sense of fear and insecurity in life. But man, when I have confidence, man, he's got it all. When I have confidence of Romans 8.20, I'm going to be with you, God. I know you're going to make everything right, even the tough stuff in life. He works all things together for those who love him. Wow. Confidence. And John, this is why John rubs so much of this culture that we live in today the wrong way. I'm talking about in the church. is because he calls the church to confidence and assurance. No gray area here. Don't play around in the gray area. Be confident. I'm writing these that you may be confident. Because then and only then are you going to fully come alive. Right? And so this builds into the next and last question, all these intimately come together. We cannot have confidence in our eternal life without fellowship and obedience. Oh, see, John, now this is where John gets, he messes with us. And, and he doesn't leave a gray zone. He's light, he's dark. Lightness, darkness. For John, it is calling the church back to, whoa, I got to clean out all that gray that's moved in here. To the simplicity of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and the magnitude of sin and getting rid of it, right? And realizing, man, i got to get back and understand how is this life lived, right? And there is no confidence without koinonia coupled with obedience. So we're going to talk in this book about how is fellowship and obedience. And even that word's like, uh, obedient, you know. What is that? It is submitting myself to the word of God. And to you to hold me accountable to the word of God because if I say before you I'm a follower of Jesus I've given my life to him then Jesus says you got to deny yourself pick up your cross and come follow me and so it means that I need to be willing to as hard as it is wrestle with what the word of God says and let it transform me and that goes both ways with each with the whole body working together right to push each other on Right? It isn't just walking with someone and hearing, you know, hearing them out. It is bringing the truth of God into each other's lives. The iron sharpened iron thing. It is the fellowship where the spirit of God moves. And the idea of fellowship and obedience, we'll see how John intimately connects these two things. A church, the family of God, working together, learning to love each other, right? to love one another as we pursue God together and God comes and moves in the midst of that. Does that make sense? And so for John, these things intimately go together. Fellowship, obedience, proclamation, right, of the gospel message itself and intimacy with God and the gospel, right, itself. All connect together to bring about this assurance. Man, I'm telling you what we see in the Bible when a church, when a group of people become emboldened and and learn to love each other and come uh, overwhelmed, right, as, as such with the, uh, the confidence and assurance of God's love for us and God's plan for the future for us, man, that's, that's when things, you know, you say, well, why? I mean, you look at people's lives. Why did you do that? Why did you give all that money away? Why did you go over there and do that? Why did you, behind the scenes where no one saw you, go to that person, that unlovable person, and spend evenings with them, loving on them? Why? Why? So it's love, folks. It should birth in powerful, transformative ways. But it can't do that if the church first doesn't reset itself. And since if I follow Christ, I say I do, I can't be out here on the peripheral, on the fringe any longer. Is that it will, if I try to stay on the fringe, which is, is, is the American church today, is we suffer confidence, the assurance of God, if I stay on the fringe of koinonia. 
I will suffer my, my own transformation according to the word of God. And this is where again, John, the father, the loving elderly man says, church, beloved, love one another. Stop getting so wrapped up with all your causes out there to look good in culture's eyes. First, the priority always is right here. Right here. It's not out there. It's right here. Again, we can't be the light out there if, boy, if love is not sparking here. If there isn't a care and a concern, right, for each other here. And let me just add is I I get the joy of hearing some of the amazing testimonies of what does go on here. The love and, 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 uh, and service and just go down a list of things. Um, we just, let's go after it. Let's go for more, right? Let's go for more. In other words, boy, wouldn't it be cool if our little community mountain town here knew our church because of, man, those people love each other. Man, they're a family. And they, they care for each other. That has a larger impact on any service you do out there. Anything you do to serve this community out there pales in comparison to the ramification of what God will do with the love expressed here, outward, right? And that's a reset, right, that we need to, to, um, to hear, right? And John's, right, the one that, that brings us alive to us as such. So that's just a whole bunch of questions. Um, I hope you'll wrestle with them. I hope that you'll dive in. Even the first steps of community, man, it's just, it's just attending. It's just being there. Lord, I, I want to be a part of this family, right? Just saying that and willing to step in even a little way, even taking someone to lunch or get a coffee, whatever it is, is, man, let's, let's serve each other. And, and how about this little prayer for us as a church? What would it be like if when we got up in the morning uh, before we come to church on Sunday, what if instead of, all the stuff that goes through our brains, right? Um, what if I said, Lord, how can I love the body? When I show up on Sunday, show me how to love someone here. Just show me. And let the Spirit of God speak to you. I can promise you God will give you an assignment. He will. And not just here, but whether you're having a dinner party and, and folks, these are the, some of the practical things we're going to get into. Christians are to be the most hospitable people in the world. Our home is to be an open home where we're inviting people over to bless them and love on them, right? That's what sets Christians apart. Not just a cocktail party, not just throwing the big party. But we bring people over, and remember, it's not just the ones that, as the parable says, that we will pay us back or something, but it's, boy, it's the outcast even. It's the person, Lord, show me who we need to have over that we can love on, who's lonely. And here's, the, here's the, just the encouragement for you. As I look out here, there's some amazing testimonies of people sitting right here who behind the scene, without any accolades, have done some mighty works of love that I know have had immediate transformative impact in people's lives. So just as a little marker, what would happen if we all reset ourselves? Lord, show us how to put a priority on the koinonia. And Lord, what would happen if we, as we prepared, right, in any avenue we came into and just expand this out? But we start here. Who can I love on? 
And that might be a word of encouragement. Man, that might just, who knows? I promise you, the Spirit of God will show you, right? So, Father, we just thank you. And, Lord, we ask you to come. Lord, let your word convict us, change us. Lord, reveal to us, even, even now as I'm speaking, I'm, you're, you've got things flying in my brain here. Just, Lord, let me respond to those. Let me respond to those. Show us how to be a people who truly know how to love one another. Restore the koinonia. Lord, that we might be that city on a hill, the salt and light, your church, your people. Lord, where you are pleased to dwell, you're pleased to come and do miraculous things. We love you, Father. Love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Just do that fellowship. Make us those people, your people. And Father, if anybody's here and they're wrestling with this issue of love, Lord, I pray that their step would be to step in and just be honest with that question and let the body love them and lead them, bless them, walk with them. Yeah, we love you, God. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.